Welcome back. For some of you who haven't been here in a while, so excited to see you. Those of you who are watching online, thanks for joining us. Those of you at Westgate, we are so excited for you to join us as well. So we're excited for that. I didn't ask him to applaud, just so you know, completely spontaneous along those lines. Uh, Remember, Base Camp, this is the two-week series we're in, is a group of people who gather in preparation for the journey or the experience ahead. So our mission is to be and to make disciples. So Base Camp is where we as a church of individuals gather, where we can be trained in order to fulfill what God has for us and through us into our real lives. As we said last week, we gather so that we can scatter and bring the light that is Jesus into our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, our hobbies, and yes, our world. So last week, we talked about the importance and opportunity to share him with others, to share Jesus with others through our words as well as our deeds. We do this individually, but we also have opportunities for us to do this as a church. So as a church, I want to remind you of a couple opportunities that you and I get a chance to invite those who may not yet be connected. The first opportunity we have is we're kicking off a new series next week called Plot Twist. Plot Twist, navigating the detours of life as we look on our Old Testaments through the life of Joseph. In fact, our first week is how do we navigate a dysfunctional family? Okay, you can't, can't predict the family you're born into, and so how do we walk through that? So what a great opportunity to bring a friend. The following week, as you just heard, we have Jeff Kemp coming. Now, he's not coming just for men on Saturday. He will be preaching on Thursday and Sunday as well. And so if you have a friend who seems to be more interested in football than coming to church, this is the week to invite them, because you can say you're going to get both at the same time time. You're going to hear from a guy who played 11 seasons, as you heard in the NFL, who's going to share some stories, but then also reveal the most important story that he's following and that we need to follow as well. And so I'm excited. So two weeks in a row, we have a chance to be able to do that. You also heard me talk about and announced last week, which is why we clapped, is that we have an opportunity, you know, as we've adopted Westgate to go back to that area. And some of you are going to be asked and be praying for if God is calling you to join with that team for up to a year to be able to reach that community for Jesus one person at a time, and more on that is coming ahead. Now, by far, the best way to reach people far from Jesus is for you and I to take personal ownership, personal ownership. In fact, as you came in, you should have received you know, one of the handouts as they came in, and at the top of this of the handout, uh, does somebody have one? I need to grab one real quick. Can you grab one? Somebody anywhere? So just hand it to me right here. Perfect. Thank you. See, I told you, real life. So here's where we're at. So I forgot to grab one of these. So here's where we're at. At the very top, we want you to rip this part off, and we want you to write three people's name that you're planning on inviting sometime in the next year, that God has put in your sphere of influence to reach out. And maybe that'd be a bookmark for you or place it somewhere where you can see it on a regular basis. Now hold on to the rest of the card. And those of you at Westgate and online, you're getting this you know, um, as well. And so hold on to the card because I'm going to refer to that in just a few minutes you know, as well. Now last week, you also heard the personal story of Jen and Jaden. Now here are two things that you maybe didn't get a chance to hear. Right after service, I got a chance to talk to them 
And Jen was just blown away. There were some tears in her eyes. She was blown away. And I'm just like, hey, what's going on? Was, was, and I'm thinking, was it offensive? Did we show something wrong? Was there, was there something that upset you? But she was actually so moved because Dan, she goes, what you don't understand is that I actually grew up at Westgate Christian Church. And she goes, there was some things that were going on in my family, and that's why I kind of went away from the faith. It was no fault to Westgate at all. She goes, but then God kind of brought me back, and for the week that you show my testimony is the week that you talk about Westgate. I cannot tell you how excited I am about the possibility of being able to go back and be able to help you know, sometime in the next year or so to make a difference in that church. That's awesome. We can clap for that. And then secondly, what you may or may not have have heard is they also decided to get baptized, which is an outward demonstration like a wedding ceremony to what a wedding is to be baptized before you, before your friends, before their friends, before family, and not to wait any longer. We're going to actually do it right now. So I'm going to turn over to Scott and Scott's going to lead us in this opportunity. Man, this is so exciting. It shows when we take one step. God takes 10, doesn't he? It's incredible. And so we have Jaden here. We have Jen there. And something really to celebrate. We have friends here, family. We have the life group here. They're here 100%. And these are their life group leaders right here, Jeff and Brittany. So I asked Jen if she wanted to go first. She said, no, you got to lead the way, right? So you get to do this first. So Jeff, are you ready? All right, Jay. Now, I just want to ask you a few questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of the living God? Yes. I got to get the mic to you. Do you believe that he died for you and rose again so that you can have eternal life? Yes. All right. Are you going to follow Jesus all the days of your life as your Savior and Lord? Yes. Right on, Jaden. So upon that confession, Jeff is going to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with him. Yes. Raised in your life. Oh, Yeah, Jeff said he was going to slam him, and he did. That was good, Jeff. Right on, Jaden. All right, Jen, here we go. Are you ready? Yes. Jen, Brittany's going to baptize you, and here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of the living God? Do you believe that he died for you and rose again so that you could have eternal life? All right. Are you going to follow Jesus all the days of your life as your Savior and Lord? All right, Jen, upon that confession, Brittany's going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with him, raised to new life. Yes. And that, my friends, is what it's all about. That is the perfect example of what we talked about this last week. Of somebody saying, I'm going to take ownership of not only of my faith, but I'm going to reach out to others, and I'm just excited to be a part of that. Now, some of you didn't realize in this section that you were in the splash zone, you know, and so uh, I guess we have to start putting some, some, some of those parkas, you know, people share. That was a big splash, you know, that was there. I apologize to facilities, you know, ahead of time, so forgive us for that. But it's all worth it, you know, so super, super excited. Well done. You know, this week, as we go into week two of base camp, I want us to continue with this kind of momentum, and I want to start with this. You know, what are you committed to or devoted to in your life right now? 
Uh, in other words, you know, without you being the one to shout it from the rooftop or post it on social media, because last week we talked about what are you excited about sharing, what does your life, what does that tell other people that you're devoted to, that you're committed to? So just like we did last week, I want you to turn to somebody that's near you and be able to tell to them or maybe if you know them well, you can tell them for them. You know what they're devoted to. Westgate, I want you to do the same thing. If you're online, talk to people in your house. You got about 20 seconds. Go ahead and do this now. Okay, somebody from this section. What's something you're devoted to? Okay, family. Somebody from this section, what are you devoted to? Spouse. Spouse. Still part of the family. What are you <laughs> devoted to? Love. Jesus. And what? Love. love? Devoted to love. All right. Anything? No, sorry. I won't, so won't start singing for you. Okay, so for me, I start thinking about it, you know, as, as well as Jesus. We're going to talk about that as well. But for me, it's my kids. You know, if you say, what am I devoted to? I'm devoted to my family, devoted to my church. And let me be honest. Yes, I am devoted to my Seahawks who are definitely a priority, even when they lose, but they didn't, did they, Russell Wilson? 17, 16, that's all I wanted. My year is complete, I love it. My Mariners, are they pulled, you know, something out of somewhere, you know, to win against Atlanta? It was just a phenomenal sports weekend. So yes, I'm devoted to those things as well. In church, we can be devoted to these things. There's nothing wrong with this. All of us have things or people that we are devoted to. And let me be clear. Let me, let's define what we're talking about. To be devoted is to give oneself entirely to a specific person, activity, or cause. Okay, to give oneself entirely to a specific person, activity, or cause. So here's the question I want to pose today. Are the things that you and I are devoted to, are they worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth the time? Is it worth the energy? Is it worth the focus and attention that we are giving to it on a regular basis? And so with that being said, I want you to turn with me to, to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be in verse 42. And while you're turning there, I want to actually walk through what's happened so far up to this point. Jesus has left earth. He's gone up to heaven. He has now told his disciples to wait because he's going to give them a gift. This promise of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. And so 40 days called Pentecost, after Jesus has left, they're in this place, in this room. Some people call this upper room. They're in this house, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, like uh, tongues of fires, what looks like appears on their head, and they're able to be able to speak, and a miracle happens, other people understand in their own language, because Jews have come from all over the known world to celebrate this Feast of Weeks. They've celebrated, there's different celebrations that they come to Jerusalem for, so they're from different provinces, different nations, and all of a sudden, they're hearing these guys talk, but all of them are understanding their own language. They're like, how can this be? And so some of them say, well, it's a miracle. Others say, no, they're drunk. And so Peter stands up, says, we're not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Somebody yells out, it's five o'clock somewhere. No, they didn't say that. <laughs> you know, it, there, there was no alcohol involved whatsoever. And he gets up and he gives this incredible message about the good news of Jesus from start to finish. And the spirit works in such a powerful way that it says that people were cut to the heart 
And the people, they pleaded with him, what must we do in response to what we've just heard about Jesus and what's taken place these last number of days? And he says, repent and be baptized as we've just experienced, all of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise isn't just for you, it's for everyone who decides to call upon the name of Jesus. And so over 3,000 people were added to their number that day. And usually that's just the men, so they're probably up towards 10, maybe even 15,000 people in one day received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so what happens next? See, now they're on the team. Now they're signed up to be in the game. Now they've gone from being a fan to now a follower. And so what do they decide to commit to as part of their base camp as they're living their real lives outside of that? And so there are four things that we're going to look at. And here's what I want you to notice is notice what four things are, and as you process this, ask yourselves, are, am I devoted to some of these things, same things? Am I devoted to some of these same, same things? So in Acts 4, verse 40, 42, it says this. All the believers devoted. Okay, so let's go back again. Devotion, to give oneself entirely to a specific person, activity, or cause. So they are devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So followers of Jesus, as part of their base camp, devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, and prayer. So the rest of our time, I kind of want to unpack what that means and what that could mean for us. So let's start with the first one, the apostles teaching. What is that? What is the apostles? What are they teaching? Well, obviously we know that they're teaching about Jesus. They're teaching the learnings and the application that Jesus was giving into their lives. So they were committed to him, to his word, to the life being led by the Holy Spirit that gathered daily in the temple courts to hear from the disciples about Jesus and about God's word to understand it better because they didn't have the Bibles in their hands. This was the only place that they got a chance to learn and to gather, and they were hungry and thirsty to learn more about Jesus. And the disciples, all they were doing was following the commands of Jesus in their own lives. See, Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 28, he came and told them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How do we do this? Well, baptize them. That's why we emphasize baptism on a regular basis. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So they taught people about Jesus. And you and I get a chance to do the same thing today, thousands of years later, that that first group got a chance to do as well. We gather on a regular basis to learn about Jesus, not just to learn about him, but to learn what it means to obey him in our real lives. Teach them to obey. 
And so that's something that we do on a regular basis. You do that at weekend services. We do that in life groups. You know, we do that midweek, you know, in CR recovery groups. There's so many different places that we do it. In fact, every morning, Monday to Thursday, 8.30 in the morning, I'm going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're in the book of Genesis. If you ever want to jump on on Facebook or it's also put up a little bit later on YouTube as well. Speaking of which, they devoted themselves not just to God's word, but to fellowship. This is the second thing. Fellowship, the Greek word for fellowship is something you may have heard before called koinonia. Koinonia is a deep relational connection with God and others. So how did they do this? Notice that they gathered not just in the temple courts, but they gathered from house to house. In other words, they were in each other's real lives in order to see this take place. And again, they were just following what Jesus had asked them to follow. And actually in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So it's a testimony to the fact that they're actually representing Christ based on how they're actually interacting and loving each other. See, you need to understand, in that day and age, when someone chose to follow Jesus, it cost them something. When we follow Jesus, it's just something, sometimes it's just an add-on, or we're told, man, this is going to just bring such greatness into your life. But for them, it cost them something. One of the things that it cost many of them were relationships. You see, as soon as they said, I'm not going to follow Jewish law anymore, but I'm going to follow Jesus's law, I'm not going to follow the Jewish way, I'm going to follow Jesus's way, they were ostracized from family members, from friends, from their community. And by, by that, they knew by accepting Christ that it was going to be a defining moment in their lives and it would change their relational dynamics, especially the deep ones, forever. And so they connected with one another, and the depth of their relationships was so critical to their growth in Christ, which is why that we're called the family of God, with God as our father and one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, uh, one of the things I can tell you is one of the greatest needs, in my humble opinion, that this next generation needs more than anything else is authentic, genuine, Christ-centered relationships in their lives. There is so much of the digital generation that's coming up that so desperately needs to know what it looks like to experience what real relationships are supposed to look like. One example in our church where they experienced this within the last year that I want you to hear is right now in this short testimony. Let's, let's watch now. Kels and I met at Moody. We dated all of our junior year. We were engaged all of our senior year. Then we got married. Once COVID hit and our church closed down, then, I mean, the isolation began. Kind of snuck up on us that, that it was not all good. One day we woke up and we were like, wait a minute. Um, this isolation has taken a toll on us as a marriage. Um, it has taken a toll on us individually. When Tim suggested going to church, I really didn't want to, but I wanted to be a good supportive wife. We were in isolation for so long that I had gotten really frustrated with Christians and Christianity. The Ukrainian-Russian like war was starting out. I had been on Facebook a lot for those like last couple weeks or whatever, looking at all of the like terrible war videos. Oh, just it was heavy on like, your heart. So heavy on my heart. Um, and that was the week that 
the worship leader, Eric, led like a song in Ukrainian, like to the people as like a blessing over them. And I remember like right after the song, just looking at Tim and going, oh my gosh, these people are like compassionate. And I hadn't seen that like in two years. This big church ended up feeling pretty small after we got connected with friends and life groups and opportunities to make connections. We go eat together very often. We went to a baseball game together. We're going axe throwing this week. I had a craft night with all of the ladies, a little paint by number night, outdoor movie nights. Oh yeah, Seriously, outdoor movie nights. We've done night. so many fun <laughs> things with our life group. I didn't realize how much community we were missing until we had it again. I was telling a friend, uh, Valley Real Life might be a big church, but it feels like a small church now because I belong here. What makes life group for me is that these are people who are also trying to live the Christian life like I am. In that exchange also, there are so many opportunities for the Holy Spirit to work through us, like a podcast or a Bible verse or sermon that I was chewing on that just so happens to be perfect for what, what you seem to be going through and I get to share it with you. And by sharing it with you, then you get to experience God taking care of you through the friend and life group. And you don't get that in a friend group outside of church. And now we feel like, yeah, we're part of Valley Real Life. Isn't that awesome? <clears throat> Just... <clears throat> COVID did that to a lot of relationships. You know, where people felt isolated, they felt alone, and then there was a projection of what Christianity is about, and all of a sudden you come out of that, and you start mingling with other people, and you start seeing the absolute need of what you had to have, and to watch to see where they were and where they are now, and the connection, you notice it wasn't just attending a life group, but it's like, we're going to do life together with Jesus at the center. That's the hope, and that's the goal, because that's what we read. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We don't just attend church. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. You see, we as imperfect people are devoted to other imperfect people on our imperfect path to becoming like Jesus. You see, I, I say it this way because I realize for you and I, sometimes we think, well, I'm not going to measure up. I'm going to go to these places. I'm not going to know, and I'm not going to fit in, or I've been hurt by relationships in the past, or I've hurt other people in relationships in the past, and so it causes us to hesitate from diving into some deeper, much-needed relationships that we actually have to, have to have, either for our sake or sometimes we jump in for the sake of others. Now, going to group doesn't mean you're automatically going to make friends, but it, it means you're headed in the right place. In fact, I want you to grab this handout, you know, again, and you have an opportunity, you know, to jump into some of these places. That's why we handed this thing out, is that you can see that there's different groups, life groups, young adult fall launch, fall launch, you know, uh, you see the seniors movie night, you got next generation, women's, men's, recovery, all church, all different platforms. These are just tools. These are just opportunities to begin or continue. And if you're already involved, the goal is to reach out and invite somebody else. If you're already connected to say, there's somebody in my life who might be sitting next to me right now, then I need to say, hey, why don't you come with me and we go on this journey together? 
In fact, if, if you have had not good experiences and you're worried about going to a group and you're like, man, I feel like I'm gonna be stuck here until Jesus actually comes back. And you're like, I'm just not ready for that yet. And uh, I've got kids and I just don't know if that's gonna work. We have the group for you. How's this for an advertisement? Sunday night, Sunday night is gonna provide a seven-week opportunity. You know, it's, called, it's, it's, it's on the 25th. It's only seven weeks, childcare, and it's here at the church so if you've never been in a life group, never been to something like this before, this is a great first step. It's got a start and an end and a great chance to meet people. And so I want to encourage you, you know, to be able to sign up today, to be able to find other people. Here's the goal. It's not about a life group. It's finding other people who are devoted to following Jesus, who are willing to be in your real life, and they're willing to be in yours. Life groups is just one of the vehicles. There may be something else. But that's our heart for you as a church because that's what the early church did. So they were devoted to Christ's teaching. They were devoted to real relationships at the center. Number three, they were devoted in sharing in meals. How many of you guys like to eat? All right, I'm the only one. Put it in the chat. You love to eat as well. I know you're probably eating right now, and that's why you're at home. You know, but whatever it may be. So uh, we, we understand this. Do you ever, understand, ever realize that whenever you want to have relational connection, it's almost always over coffee or a meal? You know, very rarely you're like, hey, you want to go hang out at Home Depot for a half hour? You're like, for what point? Are we doing a project? No, it's just a place for us to gather and hang out. You're like, what? That's weird. You know, and so, and so you don't have those kinds of experiences. Most often it's like, hey, let's go to this time. We're going to go out to eat. Why don't you come to my house and we're going to connect. Let's go out to eat together. Let's have coffee together. Let's do. There's something that's tangible that God created us when we enjoy food. And you can read the psycho psychology and the, uh, the physiology in our, in our brains on what happens over a meal. It's fascinating. I just don't have time to jump into it now. Now, the Bible is referencing two kinds of sharing of meals when it says this is what they did. The first is called the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. It's the time where we gather. Now, they did it actually over meals, and I know we have just a little version of that, but just as a reminder on a regular basis, the purpose of communion is where we keep the main thing the main thing. We're reminded of the covenant. We're reminded of the commitment that we have with one another with Jesus at the center. In 1 Corinthians for chapter 11, Paul says it this way. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after, after he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, the cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this. And remembrance of me, as often as you drink it, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So we get to be reminded, we get to remember what he's done, and we're announcing what is to come, that one day you and I are going to partake in a feast with Jesus that he talks about at the, at the banquet table, you know, one day with all of God's people. So that's a meal that we take. The second way of partaking in meals is taking care of the basic needs of one another. Now, people think that that means that we're supposed to take care of those who are less fortunate or homeless, and we are to do that as followers of Jesus Christ, but that's not what this passage is saying in context. In context, it's referring to those who put their trust, their faith in Jesus, who are gathering together. Now, I told you when people came to Christ back then, it cost them something. I told you it cost them relationships, but it also, for many of them, cost them their livelihood. 
Because as I went to Turkey, and you got to understand the Roman culture, so much of every single uh, trade guild or job that people were involved in, there was always a deity in which they worshipped or served. At the very lowest level, there would be a once a year commitment of 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 an offering of incense that would be lit to say, I'm in and I'm serving this God. So when they came to Christ, they had to be faced with, wait a minute, what if I choose not to light the incense? What if I choose not to participate in the sacrifice? What if I choose not to hail whoever it may be as king, but also Lord? What would they do? They would choose to say, no, I'm going to follow Jesus. And they would lose their job. And so the church had to rally around their own and to say, look, we are going to be there for one another. We're going to take care of you. And you can read about this in Acts 4 and Acts 6. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul hammers the church in Corinth because they weren't doing this. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. They were actually not caring for one another and they were letting actually people go hungry, those who are followers of Christ. So we are supposed to help people in need everywhere. We're all supposed to do that. We're also supposed to look out for the needs of one another. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. See a need, meet a need. As you get into each other's lives, you're going to see opportunities to be able to make a difference in each other's lives in many different ways, which is what that represents, which leads us to the last one. What were they devoted to? Prayer. See, prayer is relational dependence on God through his Holy Spirit. Relational dependence on him. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, one of the shortest verses in all of the Bible, it says, pray continually. Pray all the time, not just at mealtime, not just at church, pray all the time. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. See, we're taught by Jesus when he, when he exemplifies the Lord's prayer. He, he teaches us what to pray for and how to pray on a regular basis. But he's emphasizing, make sure you have a communal connection with God on behalf of other people, on behalf of the needs that are in your life, on behalf of the world before us. I wonder if you realize the opportunity that you and I have to pray every time we even gather during weekend services. See, Hebrews 13, chapter verse 15 says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus... A continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. And some of us are good at sharing with those in need, but have you ever thought that we're also supposed to bring a continual sacrifice of praise to God? See, worship through song is actually prayers to melody. Sometimes we, we, we just kind of take it into something we listen to on the radio or we just kind of repeat back because the worship team's up here and we like the music, we like the beat. But do you understand that worship is simply prayers to melody? That when you engage your heart and mind, you're actually talking to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and you're either praising him or you're pleading with him or you're proclaiming his name. So if you think about our services for just a second, we pray a lot. 15 to 20 minutes, every single time we gather, it's through song. This is why we spend so much time in our services because we want to bring honor and glory to his name. This is why we have worship nights because we're praying on a regular basis. We pray during communion. We pray at the end of services. We invite people to go to prayer at the cross and every week we ask you to fill out cards so that we can pray for you throughout the entire week. And it blows my mind why any follower of Christ would not submit a prayer request or a praise every single week. 
Like, why wouldn't we have this opportunity to engage the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who can change and make all differences in our lives and the lives of other people? The lives of people you love and care about that you're praying for to come to know him, that you're praying for and you're asking that God would be with them as they go through sickness and trials and suffering, that we would submit that every week to the body and allow us to come together and pray for each other. So the four things that they were devoted to is devoted to Jesus and his words, a devotion to relationships with one another, with Jesus at the center, a devotion to caring for one another, and a devotion to prayer. So now let's get real. Which of these do you find yourself, let's start positive, that you are devoted to? And what might your next step be? See, I know for myself, I feel like I'm doing fairly well in my devotion to one another. But the area that I want to continue to grow, that God has kind of placed in my heart, is the devotion to prayer. To continuing to grow in that way, to pray more often, just continually, to have that be a hallmark of my life. What about you? Do you know what it is in your life? Because here's what I don't want you to miss as we're going to kind of wrap things up. I don't want you to miss this next verse. In Acts 2.43, did you notice this? Because I'd never noticed it before until we were in our sermon team and, and Luke, you know, Quimby, one of our, our, our pastors, you know, brought this to our attention. It says this, a deep sense of awe came over them all. Awe. It's kind of a strange word. Now, we don't usually use it. We use the word awesome. We don't use the word awe. Now, awe is a feeling of profound respect for something or someone. So I began to ask this question. When was the last time that you were in awe of God working in your life or in the lives of others? Let me just give you two quick examples. When I went to Turkey, uh, we went to a, a city known as Heropolis. And as we were in Heropolis, you know, we went to this area and it actually is called Philip's, which is the Apostle Paul, Philip's Martyrium. It's a martyrium. In other words, it's a location that they built based on Philip being killed for his faith. And this is the picture that you see. And this is where it was surrounded. They built this shrine. You know, this was, this was years after it happened to commemorate his commitment to God. And what we find out that happened, according to church history, is that he was given an opportunity by the governor to come in with his wife who was really sick, and he healed her. In response to her healing, she put her faith in Jesus, which infuriated the governor because there were many other gods that he was supposed to be encouraging the people to follow. And so he was so angry at Philip for what was taking place in his own household now that he thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to snuff this guy out. And so he wanted to make a public spectacle of Philip. And so Philip was first, you know, he was, he was uh, uh, dragged. First he was beaten, then he was dragged behind, you know, one of these chariots through the city completely where his skin was starting to fall off of his body. And then they took nails and they put it into his Achilles. And then they tried to put him up on a cross and they were going to burn him at the stake. And as they were about ready to burn him, they brought his wife and daughters. They raped them in front of him. And they told him, "If we will stop if you denounce Christ. And it was his daughters and his wife who said, don't do it, Philip. It's not worth it. And so they tried to light the, 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 the place where he was going to be killed for his faith. And the wind actually started blowing hard against the fire. They were so frustrated, they took a spear and they actually killed him. See, what the governor didn't realize is that that act of faith and devotion to Jesus would create a movement that he could not stop or quench. 
And so the people said, we are going to eventually build this. We're going to make this a place. And I'm standing there and I just stood in awe saying, I can't believe I'm standing in a place where someone was that devoted, that devoted. And then, I, then another city, we went to Ephesus, and I didn't realize, you know, that John, who wrote the book of John, and he wrote three other books, and he wrote the book of Revelation, he went to the island of Patmos, where he was exiled, but he came back to Ephesus, where he actually wrote and penned those letters, and then there was actually his tomb that we got a chance to go to. And to stand there and think about what I've read in John and to see his devotion, that he lived a long life, that he was the only disciple who wasn't martyred for his faith, but he actually lived an entire life, that he go through persecutions and trials. Yes, but his devotion made such an impact that it changed a city and even our lives today, that kind of devotion. And I stand there and just go, I am so in awe of what God did through the devotion of these people and then I thought about Jen and Jaden. We could not have orchestrated their testimony on the weekend that we announced Westgate and they decided to get baptized, you know, even on this day and to see all of that. I'm like, you couldn't plan that. That's a better than a Hollywood script just to see what God is doing. And I just stood last, last week in awe, just going, God, you're at work in this place in the same way that you were thousands of years ago. And so all of a sudden it dawned on me that awe is simply a result of devotion to God and one another. And no, it's not going to happen all the time, every time you open up your Bible and every time you come to church, every time. But here's what I am convinced more than ever as I read through the rest of the New Testament and as you see the lives of devoted followers of Christ, that when they consistently practice those four things, at moments they get a chance to experience the awe of God. And the celebration with one another as they devoted themselves to Christ and him being first. As they devoted themselves to fellowship, deep relationship with one another. As they devoted themselves to caring and looking out for one another. And they developed themselves holistically to prayer that they got to experience the awe of God. And my encouragement as we leave base camp is that you and I would experience the same. And here was my challenge. Maybe... For some of you who are not experiencing the awe of God, could it be that maybe you're not devoted to the things of God? Maybe there's some priority shifting. It's fine to be devoted to the Seahawks, but not more than God. You know, it's fine to be devoted to family, but God should be preeminent to work, to whatever it may be. Is he first place? And when our faith gets lackadaisical, could it be that one of these four could have shifted? So with that being said, let me just close with this. What is your next step in your devotion to Jesus and one another? Consider committing to a life group, a place of service this week. There's an opportunity for you just to take your next step. Just your next step. You don't have to climb the mountain today. It's the next step, whether you're watching online, whether you're at Westgate, or whether you're here in the room. What is God, not Dan, God calling for your next step? Is it a more of a commitment to his word and following his word? Is it more commitment to fellowship, to connecting with other deep relationships with Jesus at the center? Maybe it's sharing, jumping in and serving and sharing. Maybe it's simply prayer. What is it for you? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this moment, this opportunity to be able to share who you are. 
I pray that we would just be impacted by what we have seen, by what we have heard, and that it wouldn't be something that we just get excited about, but that it would be transformative in our lives. And so, Father, help us right now. May your spirit lead and guide, whether we're watching online at Westgate or we're in the room, that you would just lead and guide whatever that next step is for us. Just one step at a time as we journey with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.